0: Greyhound Leader track One, over. Track one, we you Leader, over.
1: Welcome to the Trap One Podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Jason. And I'm Adam. Thank you very much for joining me, gentlemen. On this episode, we'll be talking about Arthur C. Clarke's 1953 novel, Childhood's End. Uh, But first, it's just time to hear about your recent visit to Nikolai
2: Tesla's death room, Jason. Yes, so we spoke last time, and you've actually posted photos of this, is after Nikolai Tesla's Night of Terror aired, the very next day I made a trip from my native Brooklyn into Manhattan, where Tesla lived and died. And he lived the last 10 years of his life in relative obscurity and poverty at the New Yorker Hotel, which was a state-of-the-art, high-rise hotel on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in Manhattan uh, Caddy corner to the worldwide famous Pennsylvania Station. Uh, Tesla died in the hotel in 1943 and his two-room suite still exists and you can still stay in it So my brilliant idea the day after the episode aired was to go into the hotel and go upstairs and take photographs of the rooms. And there's a little photo collage outside, as well as some historical plaque markers. I was able to get the plaque commemorating Tesla's residence on the outside of the hotel. But I learned to my chagrin that you're not allowed inside the hotel, at least inside the rooms, without a room key. The security guard outside of the elevator will not let you in. So I decided to try again. And... Four months into COVID lockdown in mid-July, I finally, sorry, late June, I guess, three and a half months, I finally went into Manhattan for the first time in a long time, then I went straight to the New Yorker, and this time, because the hotel is rather empty at the moment, I was able to bluff my way past security and make it up to the 33rd floor, and I went to the rooms, it's rooms. 3327 and 3328. If you guys ever find yourself in the five boroughs and want to pay a visit, someone was actually staying in the rooms. They were do not disturb signs put on both doors, so I was not actually able to get inside. Although there are folks who have been inside and have posted uh, photo or video tours online, those are pretty easy to find on Google. But there is a plaque outside of each door, 3327 and 3328. Each plaque says the same thing. Uh, The room doors are facing each other, so it's hard to miss. And there is a photo collage of Tesla at various points in his life right next to door 3327. So as soon as I was there, the very first thing I did was send Mark a photo of some of the material. So maybe that can go up in the show notes after we're done. Definitely, yeah, Uh, very cool. And I would love to actually stay in that room, but I imagine... There's a long waiting list of folks who want to do the same thing. So my next goal will be to stay overnight in the hotel and stay in the Tesla room and recreate uh, scenes from Nikolai Tesla's Night of Terror. But that'll be a project for another day.
1: Uh, and did you get there quite quick using that secret tunnel that we uh, saw in the episode?
2: I was not able to find the tunnel that gets you from Manhattan to Suffolk County, Long Island which is a 60 mile trip in <laughs> two seconds, I was not able to find that and I was not able to find the mob of angry New Yorkers speaking in terrible accents uh, the way that we had in the episode itself but <laughs> uh, maybe I can arrange that myself next time
1: Cool uh, yeah. and, uh, and Adam, you've uh, even you playing the new Doctor Who game 13 on the, uh, the Doctor Who website?
0: yeah beat the bbc psychological warfare strike against random which um has been highly effective because my entire twitter feed is basically people no one's arguing about episodes anymore everyone's just going i can't get to past this i've got i got a capodi um yeah, I mean it's 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 hideously addictive, but I do think we should be checking the news because I'm convinced that they've par- they've gotten out some some news about Doctor Who that they didn't want us to be aware of, like it's been reduced to five minute episodes that will be shown <laughs> on Stars Channel or Amazon Prime from now on or something. Because it's just, yeah, it's horribly addictive. I'm trying to play it less, to be honest. I can get I can get up to Eccleston, I can get an Eccleston, and then and then and then I just I, I can't get beyond that, and I, I see too many Houtos and too many Troutons. And, and the whole thing just just freezes. But yeah, uh, sadly, I have been playing it.
1: <laughs> it's I I can't. It's weird how the number of times I've played it, I don't seem to be getting any better at it. Like you'd think, I think I'd be gradually improving, and I can't get past the War Doctor at all. Um, but then, like you say, you see people on Twitter and they they're doing extraordinarily well and getting capabilities and stuff on a really uncluttered screen. So uh, yeah, I guess there's some kind of. Tactics or technique that uh, that I can't get the the hang of at all. Stick to a corner.
0: That's how I get it. you. You choose a you know start on a corner, keep like a high doctor in, in one corner, and just work around that. That's how I managed to get to an Eccleston. But yeah, I can't I
1: can't, I can't get beyond that. Damn the U B B C BBC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is pretty. That's at sort of first. Even I was playing it so much that um, you know that thing when you sort of like when you close your eyes to go to sleep, all you can see is the uh, is the board. And uh, and, the, and all the doctors' faces, uh, yeah, really, uh, really frustrating game. Uh, so on with the the podcast. So we're going to talk and say um, at Childhood's End, which is Sophie Aldred's debut Doctor Who novel. Uh, I should say there'll be uh, plenty of spoilers because we're going to cover the whole book in this podcast. Um, so yeah, I did, did. Did anybody else think it, it might be? in some way slightly related to R.C. Clarke's Childhood's End, which I haven't read, but there was an adaptation a few years ago on TV, like a three-part series, something like that, um, which made me think it might be some, something along those lines.
0: Yeah, until you mentioned it, I hadn't even made the connection, to be honest. Uh, I've read a bit of R.C. Clarke, but that's... No, I'm pretty certain that's not one I've actually read. Um, I guess it, it may be another hat. As well, and also, obviously, it's. Uh, I can't think of what the word is when when uh, one the first letter every word spells out something else. But obviously, it spells out ACE. which Took me a little while to get that. Yeah, mnemonic. <laughs> you know, mnemonic is cat. it? Acronym. Yes.
2: acronym. Yeah. Acronym like the word TARDIS is also an acronym.
1: Uh, and the the name of uh, the organisation that that ACE works for as well, isn't it? It's a charitable earth. Uh,
0: Yeah, I mean, it, 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 maybe this will lead to a series of companion books where they have to do that. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to to something like Nyssa or something, trying to make a, a sentence out of that. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see how that goes.
2: Turlo the underworld <laughs> really looks over ugly green houses. Ah, there's my next dog. Perfect.
1: Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, I think of all the, the classic series companions, because Ace didn't have a proper exit, um, it's probably the one of the most intriguing ones, isn't it, to, to find out what, what happens to her afterwards. Um, and this this, is, this issues any of the other adventures that they've had in other mediums, like the New Adventures or Big Finish or the Doctor Who Magazine comic strip. Um, other than, I think, the BBC uh, past Doctor books, there's, there's one a uh, specific reference, I think, to, to one of those. Um, uh, so, Adam, on The Real McCoy podcast, you've been covering each um, of the TV stories from the Seventh Doctor era. Uh, how do you feel that the life that Sophie Aldred and her co-writers have extrapolated for Ace, uh, how do you think that fits with a character from Survival
2: onwards? Uh,
0: well, obviously, they get the voice of the character very well. Like, you're reading it, but you could say... If you just presented the dialogue and said, guess which companion it was, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's Ace. Um, it, I, I always, I do like it when Doctor and Companions leave to do something good, you know, where they go off, they don't just like settle down, they go off and lead an interesting life after being with the Doctor. I, I, I think, I mean, I think it it works generally. I mean, I, 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 I find the idea of Ace being a billionaire a little bit odd. Um... You know, it's, it's there are, I because not only am I also a massive Dr ace fan I'm, I also work in the charity sector so I, I'm coming up this from like two perspectives and I I understand why they've put her in front it, it, given her like this big massive like um, charity because it lets her lot do lots of cool stuff like we see she's got like all these gadgets and all this thing but you can easily imagine ace running a uh, running like a small charity out the back of somebody's uh, living room and yeah, no, it's okay, it's good, I, I, I like the idea I definitely like the idea behind it this is not how charities run though I really want to make that clear, if you've come away from this reading this book thinking that's how charities operate it is not, <laughs> this charity would have been closed down by the charity commission the moment they applied to, to build an 18 story building in zone 1, <laughs> which had a fancy penthouse for the CEO to live in I mean, that, that would they, they would close that down <laughs> straight away <laughs> Just,
2: yeah. Whereas in the United States, that would get you elected president. <laughs> so she clearly has her charitable organization in the wrong country.
0: I mean, there's not even a mention of a board of trustees, which she legally must have. And I, I, I could, I'd love to see some of those meetings, which has to justify some of those expenses of, oh, I had to go into space. <laughs> um, <laughs> there we go. Maybe, maybe I'm being a bit too, but maybe this is how charities operate in the dot-two world. Because, uh, I mean, the, the, the charity thing is, it's actually from Russell T Davies, isn't it? Because it, it first gets a mention in the Sarah Jane adventures, mm-hmm. I think, uh, where, where yeah, uh, Death of Doctor Who, where Sarah's like saying what's happened to all the, at least the Earth-based companions, and, and that's where it first comes up. And I think this is what we were going to... The, uh, I think there's been talk that if obviously yeah, Elizabeth this hadn't passed away, they would have brought Ace back probably in the next series, and this is probably the Ace we would have seen.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's, it's it's a huge shame that, isn't it? That um, obviously it's, it was tragic anyway that we lost Elizabeth Slay then, but um yeah, tantalizing prospect that we would have seen a grown up ace. Um yeah, in the Sarah Jane adventures. Uh and it's um there's a lot of continuity in here from the classic series. Well the the, the new series as well. It, it it ties the um the sort of Earth as it currently is with um with Unit No More. Uh we learn that, that Ace has built her they say massive headquarters, uh, specifically near the Tower of London, so she could see who was coming in and out of unit headquarters, and then uh, unit got shut down, as we learned in uh, in Resolution. Um, she's got an ex-boyfriend, Will Buckland, who works for the Space Defence Centre from the Android Invasion.
0: Oh, is that where it's... Yeah, I thought it was familiar, but I couldn't quite, couldn't quite place it.
1: Yeah, is it...
2: There was a reference to the XK-5 rocket, and there was a veiled reference to Guy Crayford, and there was a mention of the pub, the Fleur-de-lis. Uh, the only thing missing was the extra chapter cleaning up all the loose plot ends from the end of the Android invasion.
0: <laughs> the only thing missing Sully, was Will revealing that he had an eye under his eye perhaps the whole time and <laughs> wasn't aware of the fact.
2: The,
1: she mentions uh, she she drives into the uh, into Devesham. She sees the stone cross as well, which is the one that Tom Baker was tied to, uh, I think as well. I assume that's what it's a reference to.
0: I'm I'm ashamed. I didn't pick up on all these Android Invasion references <laughs> at all. I haven't watched that one for quite a while, but not what I would have expected.
2: But I actually. I told Mark to queue up some of the more embarrassing audio cues from Android Invasion to splice into this podcast. And there are many embarrassing audio cues in the Android Invasion.
1: I, I, I need to revisit it as well. So if, if I get time, I'll, um, I'll drop some in there. Uh, so um, as you say, uh, Ace is fabulously wealthy. Um, and this is because on an adventure with the doctor, she set up a bank account in World War II, which I thought it points to Illegal Alien, which uh, was also co-written by Mike Tucker. I know you've got a better knowledge of the books than me, Jason. Did you? I uh,
2: I am quite prepared to give a discourse on the Ace-related fiction of one Michael Tucker, <laughs> uh, because uh, let me just start in on that now. So, Mike Tucker's Ace books were written with a different co-author, I believe, Steve Perry, not Steve Perry from the band Journey. He doesn't sing, or maybe it was Robert Perry. I can't remember. Tucker and Perry wrote a series of novels, which in their mind was season 27. So they wrote, I believe, a total of five books for BBC Books' Past Doctor Adventure series. So they were published between 1997 and 2004 or 2005. And there was one book in that mini cycle written by Dale Smith called Heritage, which is actually very, very, very good. Uh, The Tucker and Perry books, unfortunately, are not so good because they were written as a negative reaction to the New Adventures. The New Adventures tells us that Ace's last name is McShane. Her real name is Dorothy McShane. Uh, Tucker, in his books, decides that, and this is perhaps being a little too precious, they take a look at all the Wizard of Oz references in Dragonfire, and they decide that Dorothy's real last name is Gale, Dorothy Gale, which is a name that is familiar to anybody who might have seen A Wizard of Oz. So the book Illegal Alien is a Cyberman adventure. takes place in the 1940s. There is a sequel to that, which I had the displeasure of reading a year or two ago. Then you can find my review on the Doctor Who ratings guide. Now, I'll preface by saying that I like Michael Tucker's fiction in general. He's a very visual writer which makes sense because he was a visual effects worker on the original Doctor Who. And he plots a good story and very, very visual. So they're fun to read the sequel to illegal alien and illegal alien is the book where Ace takes 50 quid out of the doctor's pocket and sets it up in a bank account. And that makes her a billionaire 70 years later. I'm not sure that would actually work from a financial point of view unless you had a series of aggressive investments in British real estate after the Blitz. I don't know the answer to that. Someone else could figure that out and send it to us on a postcard. But the sequel to Illegal Alien is called Loving the Alien. And I'm just going to go full-on spoiler mode for a 16-year-old book that nobody apart from me and Michael Tucker remembers. In Loving the Alien, Dorothy Gale is killed, and she is murdered by... James Dean, the actor, after they have an affair and she gets his name tattooed on her shoulder, which in the 1950s is going to be a death sentence anyway due to either hepatitis or heavy metal poisoning. So Dorothy Gale, who is Michael Tucker's version of Ace Prime, the Ace from the TV series, is killed off and is not brought back to life, but the end of the book involves a multiverse shootout between the Cybermen from different dimensions and a different Ace comes through and takes over the dead Ace's spot as the Doctor's companion, and the authors specifically say, well, this Ace thinks she has a different last name, which would make her the Dorothy McShane from The New Adventures, which I gather the authors didn't like very much. The New Adventures had given Ace a much better set of departures in two different books, uh, Love and War by Paul Cornell, which has been given a very nice... Uh, audio adaptation by Big Finish, and set piece by the incomparable Kate Orman, which is the last ongoing Ace book in the series and gives her a slightly different departure involving uh, time travel. So Ace's exit from the TV series has been done, and it's been done very, very well. Michael Tucker's version of Ace's departure in Illegal Alien is Probably the worst of the bunch and is not revisited in this book at all and instead they concoct a new departure from ace uh, for ace which we see in flashback so you guys were focusing on the prose and the plot i wasn't worrying about any of that i was thinking about continuity and how does this ace tie into the different aces that we've seen in the tv series and i'm not a big fan of the multiverse in general and i'm not a big fan of having multiple aces doing multiple different things I'd rather have one Ace Prime and that's it. But in Michael Tucker's universe, Ace Prime is dead. So I spent more time than is emotionally healthy trying to figure out which Ace was which here. And I suspect that Michael Tucker was doing the same thing when he wrote the book, because there is a giddy sequence about halfway through where we see all the different versions of Ace, <clears throat> including the new Adventures Ace with her battle suit. And her mirror and sunglasses, and her really, really big blaster.
0: Can we also just mention the uh, the.2 magazine comics, Ace uh, comic strip, Ground Zero, where she departs, uh, where she blows herself up while fighting, if I remember this correctly, because it's been years since I read it, a giant, giant fleas that lurk in the subconscious of humanity.
2: Uh, Lance Parkin described it on records Doctor Who in the '90s as Ace being killed off by a poorly drawn sleeve, <laughs> which, in my head, canon is the way it happened.
1: Yeah. So the the sequence you mentioned, um, she she sees a lot of different potential Aces, doesn't she? And and uh, I think even the the original plan, uh, Andrew Campbell's master plan for her, which was that the Doctor would enroll her in the Time Lord Academy. Um, so we get. Um, we get a sort of an image of ace with the, the time lord collars as well
0: yeah i mean that that was i mean whether it's part of an actual master plan i mean because going through through these recently you know I, i've stated publicly there is no master plan it's quite ov- quite obvious but yeah because the, the gallifrey thing because he's mentioned it in interviews but then he's also gone but we might have given the script to ian briggs to do a departure and I, yeah because I, I haven't big finish pop plonkter and gallifrey i believe in uh, I, I, I don't buy a lot of Big Finish because I need to pay rent and eat, um, but, <laughs> I, mean, I think she's, she's and there, and yeah, that, that gets a mention, and I've always been a bit like, why, why why would the Doctor enroll in Gallifrey, the really boring place that he, he escaped from? Like, I doesn't, I can't quite imagine just like putting you know, Ace there going, yeah, this would be great, see ya.
2: Well, Big Finish actually recorded that script, but they gave it a different ending.
0: He, oh, yeah, yeah, um, Thin Ice, isn't it? I think I've, I've, I've listened to it
2: by Mark Platt, where she goes, where she the doctor is giving her the test for a Time Lord Academy, but she ends up declining at the end of the recording. Spoiler alert for ten year old audio.
1: Right, yeah, because I think the, the the bits and pieces you hear about about this plan from from Angie Cartmel, where they say that the idea was that she she's enrolled in Time Lord Academy to to mix it up a bit and shake things up um, on Gallifrey, but, but it occurred to me that that. <clears throat> And I think there's so much of the the Seventh Doctor era that um, that is an influence on the new series, um, but that's very much like a new series companion idea, where the companion goes off to be uh, like a version of the Doctor in the same way that that Rose and right. uh, Martha and Clara and Bill have to some extent. Um, it's um, in the way that Ace was the first companion that really felt like she she had a proper background and. Uh, and family and came from a real place. Uh, it's just just another way that, uh, that that was such an influential era, um, I think. And also, that I suppose she's a bit of a reflection of the Doctor in terms of choosing her own name. Um, and her origins are still a little bit mysterious, aren't they? Like We never ever, well, other than as a baby, see her mum or anything. And And even in this book, it doesn't delve that much into her pre- Dragonfire life. There's a little bit of a childhood, but not not massively.
0: I think that's a lot of territory the, the new adventures covered, or at least you, you get various flashbacks and mentions. I mean, how interesting her pre-Dragonfire life is. Is I mean, yeah, it it, it has been mind-bending. I mean, I guess most obviously on the TV in Ghostlight, which is kind of a sequel almost to to Ace's childhood, as one way to put it, and obviously that gets. Of course, that gets mentioned. In fact, I wonder if every—I I, I think every single McCoy story gets referenced in this. In fact, I'm positive it does. That she's in anyway, because Ghostlight Ghost is directly referenced. No, they all are. They definitely all are. Yeah, her cats called Even Sory, Silver Nemesis. It, and, uh,
1: yeah, I mean that's the best one. So. Yeah, yeah obviously. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um,
1: so so, yeah. I guess the, the first sort of section of the book is is Ace Ace's life as it is now. Um, leading up to um, the point where her and her, her ex-boyfriend uh, travel to a mysterious alien craft which is orbiting the moon uh, and upon exploring that she finds a familiar object in one of the compartments uh, and here we have a special guest reading from writer and artist Sophie Iles
3: It was a battered blue police box The TARDIS, unashamedly incongruous and possibly the most beautiful thing Dorothy had ever seen. The seconds passed, and, as the breath returned to her body, she turned to the boy. "'Where is he?' the boy stared at her in amusement. "'Where's who?' "'Are you one of the crew here?' the girl asked. Impatient now, Dorothy took a step towards the TARDIS, bellowing through the doors. "'Oi, Professor, come on out!' The older man stepped across the doors, blocking her. Blee me, love,' "'There's no one called a professor in there. "'They know me as the doctor.' "'Dorothy turned at the sound of the warm, northern tones "'to see a tall, slim blonde woman in a long grey coat "'standing inside the door. "'Her grin was as bright as the stripes of colour across her top, "'and it was a smile of recognition. "'Dorothy, for reasons she couldn't comprehend, "'felt a wave of emotion. "'Who are you?' she demanded. "'It's me, Ace.' "'Different body, but the same brilliant brain and much better hair. "'You're the professor?' "'Dorothy could barely bring herself to believe it. "'No way. "'Come on, regeneration, you remember. "'When a Time Lord's body gets old or damaged, Yada yada. "'Dorothy could feel the rational part of her brain dismissing what she was hearing, "'and yet there was something so familiar about the woman in front of her. "'She could feel her eyes beginning to blur with angry tears. "'Prove it. If you're the professor,' "'Prove it.' "'All right. "'You support Charlton Athletic "'because your favourite uncle lived in Plumstead. "'You love motorbikes, although I never let you ride one. "'You taught yourself to speak proper "'because you wanted to sound like a Blue Peter presenter. "'You can't see a Dalek without feeling a twitch "'in your baseball bat hand. "'You learnt to love jazz, "'and you think being tall is overrated. "'Oh, and you hate clowns.' "'She sounds pretty awesome,' said the boy, smiling, "'while the girl and the older man sort of baffled looks.' She is. The Doctor's grin grew wider. It's good to see you again, Ace. Dorothy felt the warm rush of surrender. Blimey, Professor, it really is you.
1: So thank you so much to Sophie for that excellent reading. You should check out her website, which is UK Sophie, and then Iles is I-L-E-S. I'll put a link in the show notes to that as well. So something that, that, um, that occurred to me from that passage is the description of the TARDIS as a battered uh, police telephone box, which is the for me is the classic sort of Target book description of it. Um, but it, the seventh nor the thirteenth Doctors didn't really have a battered TARDIS, did they? I just think of their TARDIS has been in relatively good condition. Um, but it's it's the sort of the default description of it um, I find from from the Target books, which. For me, because I watched, started watching um, Doctor Who sort of at the very end uh, in the McCoy just before it got cancelled. So the uh, the targets, you know, how I experienced most of the, uh, the classic stories and until I got to watch them. Um, so I think I would tend to be more drawn to those earlier, the earlier Doctor's TARDISes, which are a bit more beat up.
2: It also depends on who wrote that sentence. I mean, you have two people who wrote this book. You have uh, Mike Tucker and you have Steve Cole. Tucker comes from the Seventh Doctor's era. He worked on the show. So if Tucker wrote that sentence, then, from his perspective, the TARDIS is the battered TARDIS. And Steve Cole was the editor of the Eighth Doctor series, Then he was the co-writer for the book. My guess is that Tucker wrote all the material involving Ace, and that Cole wrote all the material involving the Thirteenth Doctor. But the two of them come from a classic series perspective, not the new series perspective. So in their mind's eye, you're going to have that uh, battered, beaten up wooden TARDIS prop. So that would be the most likely uh, non-canonical explanation.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, as we mentioned before, there's uh, there's a lot of um, a lot of deep cut continuity uh, in this story as well, isn't there? Another one that leapt out at me was the Seeds of Doom. We've got the the World Ecology Bureau, um, which is now run by Jane Thackeray. Uh, instead of uh, Colin Thackeray um, which uh, it, it seems odd that that would be um, a hereditary position uh, to be in charge of <laughs> um, which is uh, similar to I think what you were saying Adam about the way, um, the way a charity would be uh, passed on to, uh, <laughs> to somebody else
0: yeah, I mean, that, that obviously happens at the end of this book, but again, I just want to make really clear, you can't just pass, be a CEO and just say, oh, it's somebody else, if you're a CEO of a charity, you can't just go, do you want to be CEO now for a bit? doesn't work. Particularly if that person has no, I mean, I presume the type of charity she, uh, Charitable Earth is, and this is just reading between the lines, it's a, it's a disaster relief slash inter, international development charity, like Oxfam, for example, Um but you don't just pass it on to an astronaut at the end and go, here you go. Because what, what experience does he have? He has no experience in those areas. These are complex fields that require, you know, that people work years in before they get to that position. You don't just go to someone who's, who's gone into space occasionally do you fancy doing it for a bit. Dad Gee.
2: has also just had a nervous breakdown and has been fired from his government position.
0: Yeah, again, the charity commission would have a field day with this. Absolute field day. So, so, so would your donors. I presume the donors they'd be phoning up. Trust me, this is part of my job. They'd be phoning up and just complaining about the fact you'd handed it over to a person of um,
1: of ill repute. Disgraced <laughs> astronaut. <laughs> Uh, see so yeah, A couple of the other bits I noticed The 7th the doctor, the doctor is carrying uh, Everlasting Matches Which I think were from the first ever Doctor Who book The Exciting Adventure of the Daleks uh, Crozier from Mind Warp Is mentioned
2: Yes, yes And they had Ace as having met The uh, Zygons and Axos Which I don't recall happening on TV Or in the spin-off books So those are adventures that we have not seen yet
1: and so uh, I suppose we should. This um, we should we should talk about the thirteenth Doctor um, and the uh, and, and Ace's meeting with her. Um, well, actually, uh, before that we um, we get an intermission, don't we? Just just as Ace meets the new Doctor or the, the current Doctor um, of how she left the Doctor last time, which uh, is uh, it's set in nineteen ninety. So it's when season twenty seven would have gone out, um, and the Doctor's taken her to the planet. Um, of the Aston gear, uh, who, um, uh, after a long-drawn-out war, have imprisoned the wraiths in a. Uh, I can't remember what it's called now, is it a Quantum?
2: The Quantum Anvil, because the Astingir are horses, and their warriors are called centaurions, C-E-N-T-A-U-R, half man, half horse. So everything that they do has a horse-themed name. So an anvil, of course, is used to make horseshoes. So the Aston gear use a quantum anvil, which now I read this book on my Kindle. I literally cannot throw the book across the room because that would break my Kindle and take all my hundreds of other books with me. So all I can do is put the Kindle down, go to the corner, find the hardest wall that I can, bang my head against the wall, and then say, man, it feels good to stop banging my head. So that was my reaction to learning about the quantum anvil. <clears throat> Pardon. <laughs> Get carried away
1: there for a minute. So they're quite um, – yeah, they take a little bit of picturing, don't they? they they're, they're like the centaurs in, in the sense that they've got a horse's body with a human torso, but then they've, they've also got a horse's head atop the human torso, but not horse-sized but smaller like a human. Wee tiny <laughs> horse's head.
2: And when the doctor meets them, she says, Why the long face? <laughs> which I'm sure sounded good in Steve Cole's head as he wrote that scene, but I cannot imagine Jodie Whittaker agreeing to read that line um, they, on TV. They haven't They're
1: heard of horses, thinking. have they? When um, uh, I think Graham Orion mentioned horses. They, they don't actually know what a horse is, uh, despite the fact, as you say, that, um, that all their stuff like their spaceships are called chariots and things like that.
2: Be a whole, that's a whole separate podcast on the illogic of the Aston gear.
1: <laughs> um, I suppose they're quite a sort of a physical um, threat, and then the rates are a bit more sort of ethereal, aren't they? And uh, uh, sort of wraith like I suppose. Uh, but they've uh, they've been defeated, and I say trapped. And the doctor's plan is to expose Ace to the quantum manville. So that if the Wraiths ever escape, she can be some kind of emissary to uh, uh, to try and stop them wreaking havoc again. Um, and then, in escaping from the planet, uh, she inadvertently kills a load of Aston Gear with, with some Nitro Nine because the uh, a building collapses, doesn't it? And they um, they they all sort of uh, uh, are killed in the in the ensuing yeah. chaos.
0: I, I I yeah I I don't want to have problems with that, but a hey, you know I mean, we were just talking earlier how that there's a lot of ace exits to choose from. At this stage you know because there's loads and if i'm being honest my favorite even though it's not technically an exit is probably the end of survival where they just walk off together arm in arm that's really quite lovely as a last scene i mean i know fandom would never be happy with that we'd always want to put some sort of leaving scene in i understand that and after that my second favorite is probably uh spoilers for the real mccoy in the future by the way i guess um it's probably set piece that we talked, mentioned earlier because she's leaving on her own terms. She gets a time-traveling motorbike, and she leaves to help people. Um, and I, I just, I, I just feel a bit torn on the idea that she kind of accidentally murders, well, accidentally kills, let's be. Um, and it is emphasised that it was an accident that, that she, that they were, that her and the doctor are about to die, and she did it to save them, and it's an accident. And it, it just, it feels a bit like going. Ooh, let's do something a bit dark and gritty, in a way that the actual. And again, I guess it depends whether your influence is the TV series or the New adventures themselves. But it's kind of dark and gritty in a way that that the McCoy era isn't. And I, I just, it, it's. I don't. Like I said, it's not her worst exit. That would be blowing yourself up, Wodja, from fighting a giant flea. But it's poorly
2: drawn flea.
0: Poorly drawn flea. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, I just, I just felt a little bit like I was like, okay, you know. Again, I, I don't hate it, but I, I feel a bit ambivalent towards it. T- t- towards that choice. Anyway.
2: To me, it was a it was a imitation of the way that Ace leaves in Love and War, because in the New Adventures she leaves in Love and War, spends three years on her own, fighting as a soldier in the Dalek Wars in the twentieth century, and then comes back uh, to the Doctor with a secret agenda. Uh, all of this features the manipulative master-planning seventh doctor in love and war both in the new adventure and in the subsequent big finish audio uh, ace falls in love and gets married but her husband happens to be the key to defeating the alien menace du jour and the doctor has to manipulate the husband into sacrificing himself to destroy the alien menace and Ace is so disgusted that the Doctor knew all along that the person she was going to marry needed to die to save civilization or humanity. And she leaves, and she doesn't come back for several years in the book's continuity. This felt to me like an effort to have the Ace also leave because of the Doctor manipulating her. He forces her into the quantum anvil without telling her what he's going to do, And then he seems to be aware that using the Nitro-9 is going to kill the horsies and doesn't tell her that it's going to do that. So she leaves him in disgust in this book, similar to the way she left him in disgust at the end of Love and War. But Love and War was a full novel which is plotted as intricately as a symphony. And the way the pieces fit together, probably Paul Cornell's best work. And this is just two brief flashback chapters where all this happens in a matter of paragraphs. And it's a bit slapdash and haphazard. And when you have so many choices for the way Ace leaves the Doctor, I was kind of rebelling, saying, no, this is not how it really happened. This is just a quantum universe thing that I can ignore in my in my headcanon. Uh, they needed to find some way to separate the two of them on bad terms, I guess. But this was done rather perfunctorily and Probably could have used a few more rounds on the drawing bo- board before they actually committed it to paper. Yeah,
0: I I do think it's a little bit. Uh, 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 it's not quite clear the seventh doctor knew what was going to happen. Like he seems slightly surprised. I I don't think he necessarily knows that because they talk about it. They they could have known it was like the floor caved in on on, on the on the I can't remember the name. Center, center, people. Um, and he's like, we couldn't have known that was going to happen. But yeah, it just I, I don't I don't think it's. A, bad choice, but maybe I'm just... I, I have it in my head how, how I, I like companions to leave, and I also feel sometimes you, you're kind of just taking the home of Coy or you're looking at, say, Curse of Fenric and going, oh yeah, manipulative, he do something that would manipulate it too far, and yeah, I mean, it's a choice. It's a choice. I don't... I can understand the reasons for making it. It's just its just not a, a preference sort of mine.
2: Although it is better than having her killed off by the actor James Dean in the novel Illegally... <laughs> A yeah, alien. So this is I a know, better I've read that than book, that.
0: And until you mentioned that, I totally forgotten that it happened. I'd obviously blank that one out. But no, you're right. That, that I remember that book. Uh, it's coming back to me, sadly.
1: But yeah, no, it's, it it's definitely been foreshadowed from that. Like you say, the curse of Fenric idea, doesn't it? That um, that the Doctor's manipulating Ace. Um, that uh, that you knew all along that she was one of the wolves of Fenric and things like that. And I think the the modern series idea as well that you get in um, like the stolen Earth at Davros talks about um, the Doctor kind of weaponizing his companions that that he preaches about not, not, uh, you know non-violence and not carrying weapons, but then ultimately turns his companions into uh, into soldiers for him. Um, but it's interesting that I thought this story came along now with the thirteenth Doctor because she's probably the furthest from the manipulative, cunning uh, you know the player on a thousand cosmic chessboards uh, seventh Doctor idea. Um, so when uh, you know when Hal does conversations about it, she she still stands behind uh, the decisions uh, that she made in the early incarnation, um, and I think the 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 it, it, for me it was very tenuous the idea that the uh, the microwave thing from Resolution uh, when she's talking to Ryan um, about how the Doctor uses companions um, because I don't read uh, the the microwave being brought on the TARDIS um, in Resolution as as the same sort of thing that The Seventh Doctor would have done at all.
0: No, I mean, actually, what this book does, and actually I think one of its strengths for me, is it, um, is it does make those comparisons um, because I, I I don't know if this is too early to bring this in yet, but I think this, one of the strongest things is, is, is Yaz and her relationship or reactions to Ace, which actually make for the, I'm sorry, is this too early to talk about this? Are you happy for me to go off on from this tangent? Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. Because yeah. uh, that actually, I, I really like that because, you know, one of the joys of the Seventh Doctor and Ace era is it's basically two anarchists going around blowing, blowing stuff up. Um, I, I always say that their relationship is defined in the, in the it, where the Seventh Doctor says, Ace, give me some of that Nitro-9 you're not carrying. Um, and, yeah, you're right, That it's been, what's, one of the things that's, interested in me about Thirteenth Doctor, she so like, oh yeah, I mean, she actually states, I'm a pacifist, in Nothing to spy for, and I, I was like, no you're not, <laughs> you've
3: never been, <laughs> uh,
0: I don't think you are now, um, and being a pacifist is something you're very particular with a very set of beliefs that you've, you've, I don't think you've ever had, and it's quite, I, I really enjoyed when, when, you know, like, first of all, first of all, this book remembers that Yaz is a policewoman, which the TV series doesn't always do. I feel, and it, and her reaction to Ace, to Ace is like, oh yeah, making explosives is, is a hobby, <laughs> she's just like, what? <laughs> Are you sure you're not a terrorist? And, and and that, which makes perfect sense for that character, and also then when when Ace has that conversation with Yaz, I think it's on, on the roof, she goes, but the Doctor always blows stuff up, and 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 he does this and does that, and 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 Yaz is like, oh, and it, it's interesting because it kind of brings, I guess this is the trouble with something a spin-off, and it's not like the last night, New Adventures where it's continuing the story, is that uh, we never then get a scene with Yaz and the Doctor, which might change their relationship a bit, where Yaz goes... We... I, I think what I'm trying to get at is that when we were told that Yaz was going to be a policewoman on the TARDIS, I immediately thought they were going to go into a direction that they haven't, and this isn't a criticism that they haven't, but the Doctor is essentially a, a thief and a con artist and does not follow... Rules and breaks laws every single day, and Yaz is a policewoman woman trained to enforce the law. And I thought that this could be some interesting tension, and that's never really been there, at least in the series. So it was nice to see that kind of, at least, be hinted at in the book. Even if, again, it, it maybe it's the frustration of spin-off novels, you can't have that scene between Yaz. You can have that scene between Yaz and Ace. You maybe can't have it between Yaz and the Doctor because that change or that moment in their relationship will, will never be reflected on screen.
2: Well, so Steve Cole wrote all this for A Childhood's End, and he's the ongoing editor of the 13th Doctor books. So, number one, he has a handle on how to use these characters, and he can explore things that the TV series never gets around to exploring. Like, the TV series doesn't seem to realize that Yaz is part of the TARDIS crew sometimes. So Steve Cole is just the man to rectify that, because he's in charge of the 13th Doctor books. But at the same time, he has other 13th Doctor books to write, and edit and commission. And he can't do anything in this book that is going to fundamentally change the Yaz-Doctor relationship, which on TV is non-existent, and in the book is a little better developed. So this is literally as good a Yaz as we are ever going to get, ever. So it's great, and I applaud that Steve Cole made Yaz the primary companion in this book, where Ryan and Graham are passed off as the comic relief. This is as much Yaz's book as it is Ace's, and that's one of the advantages to having two different writers put this book together, one to write The Seventh Doctor, and Ace, one to write The Thirteenth, and Fam, and I should say. So Steve Cole does a great job with Yaz, and it's probably, in all honesty, the best Yaz that we are ever going to get in any medium, TV, print, or otherwise.
1: Yeah, and she, she slightly gets the... Um... Uh, the, the sort of reaction that uh, that Rose does um, in school reunion, doesn't she, with um, where, with Sarah Jane? Uh, you know the idea of uh, the slight jealousy at the ex, and um, you know seeing what what becomes of people after they've after they travel with the Doctor. Um, yeah, I thought the uh, just to pick on something you were saying, Adam, about the uh, about them being anarchists and stuff. I think there's there's more recognition now. Possibly, uh, you know, since like the Iraq War and Afghanistan War, of uh, when Ace is pondering whether she whether they actually did any good, because um, they topple all these regimes and then just disappear again. They're not yeah. there for any of the uh, uh, any of the rebuilding and, and and that sort of thing. And uh, I thought that fed into the sort of charity work that she does as well, yeah. in terms of, uh, of of going into you know former war zones and, and and rebuilding and things like that. Yeah,
0: and I, I really like that. That's nice. Little character, but I quite like it when companions because you know, this idea that the doctor doesn't stay around, it's well established. And any you know, the series that looked at it, and I like, think it was made it became a major theme in like the first, you know, Eccleston series, didn't it? Like that coming back after you've gone, going, oh god, it's gotten worse. Um, and no, I did, I did like that, and I, I like the idea, yeah, yeah, that I that you know, it's probably just charity work is to help rebuild instead of just knocking you know, because knocking knocking bad things down is very important, and I'm all for it, but you, right, you've right, you got, to, at, the, at the end of the day, you've then got to put something in its place. And it's weird, because actually, it kind of picked, what they do there is, again, something that I thought in the new series they were going to do with Ryan, because you remember when he has that dream um, in Can You Hear Me? and he sees the, um, I can't remember what they call the monsters from Orphan 55. The dregs. Yeah, and, and I thought maybe they're going to do this thing where he realises that they've seen a future of Earth, and maybe he should go back to Earth and help stop that. And I don't know if that's what they're going to do, but I, I was really hoping they work because I thought, oh, if that's how he leaves, that's a really good I like idea of a, a Doctor's companion seeing, you know, a horrific fate for Earth and going, well, actually, I've got to do something about that. Because the Doctor's not going to stay and do the long-term work to stop that happening. Um, and they might still do that. He hasn't left yet. We'll have to see. But I, it's, um, I, I, it is an idea. I like companions who, when they leave, they lead to do some good in a way the Doctor can't.
1: Yeah, definitely. I had that feeling from from series twelve as well, um, because uh, it this, uh it ties into the stuff about him not being there for his friends as well, who've uh, sort of suffered in his absence as well. Uh, so as we, we haven't yet talked about the um the main villain of the piece, um, which which ties into both Ace's uh kind of uh, original when the when she originally left Earth and and ended up on Svartos for Dragonfire, Um, Fenric basically hired somebody to kidnap her um, in the form of Hologi Kari uh, who's a being that can manipulate space and time and then creates these sort of time storms and uh, he's doing the same thing again by um, uh, beaming away uh, homeless people and uh, uh, and various other characters um, as as charitable donations uh, to... uh, to, uh, to help the Wraiths escape their confinement, that they, they need to be tethered to uh, to somebody in the, in the real universe.
2: So this is a retcon to the Ian Briggs work. So Dragonfire, which is Wizard of Oz and Doctor Who clothing, Ace is taken from her home by a cyclone and deposited in the land of Oz. Curse of Fenric explains, and it's by the same author, so it's not a retcon, it's an explanation. Ace was taken out of her bedroom by Fenric, who needed her to join up with the doctor. This book is a retcon of that. So Fenric was an all-powerful evil since the dawn of time. So you can imagine that he himself personally snatches Ace out of her bedroom and puts her in the doctor's way. Here, we learn that Fenric hired a subcontractor (laughs) to do the actual transference for him. And he hires a, fussle, a fussy little clerical alien who's quite, quite ugly. And this alien kidnaps many people for many organizations, not just Fenric. So obviously there was a job interview. Fenrick is sitting behind his desk uh, with his big picture window overlooking Hades. And he has a line of applicants coming in. And the applicants that he doesn't like, he pushes the Monty Burns button behind his desk, and they drop down uh, into the nuclear Springfield power plant and are vaporized. But Halogi Kiri, Fenric goes, ah, I like the cut of your jib, and offers him a contract. And then Halogi Kiri keeps records of every person that he's ever kidnapped, and he recognizes Ace because he ends up abducting her twice. And he is doing this as a front, and he's calling it a charity because he's already been punished by the Shadow Proclamation, And if they catch him again, he'll be imprisoned for the rest of his uh, eternal life. So this is, as retcons go, a rather interesting one because it implies that Fenric has staff (laughs) and conducts interviews to hire his staff. And he hires a fussy clerical alien who has an encyclopedic memory. And I'm like, this is not what Ian Briggs had in mind. He was doing the Wizard of Oz. That he had this all-powerful being. This turns it into Fenric running a business, Crime Incorporated, and the ramifications of this, if you unravel it, are hilarious, but not in an intentional kind of way.
0: Yeah, because I mean, Fenric isn't isn't a science fiction villain. Uh, he's a he, you know, like you said, he's, he's a he's a genie in a bottle, you know, with powers. And you're right, I've never. I don't know. Maybe this is something that's being around fandom. And I just haven't been aware of it, this idea that the time storms were some, something, in the, a plot hole or, or whatever. Um, it's an it's an interesting choice. I mean, I appreciate the fact that they, they made him that, like, he's not really presented in sci-fi imagery. There's very much a, the sense that the, the technology he uses or is organic and sticky and weird. Like Tractators
1: or something, which, like that made me think of it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's that. It's not like shiny white, 70s GBC sci-fi, you know, which is at least maybe fits the aesthetics of Fenric a little bit better. But it it, it, it was an interesting choice. It's not where I expected it to go. I, I, I mean, I half thought at one point Fenric himself was going to turn up in the book. Um, cause mm. And then I was like, oh, okay. It's the highly... highly, highly, highly. I can't say the word. But yeah, it's, it's the employee of Fenric, which wasn't quite <laughs> where I thought it was going to go. I mean, again, I, retcons don't bother me. You know, it continuity is, is whatever... Whatever you know, it's 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 a it's again I I can understand why that it's it's such it's a popular it's probably one of the most pop, popular. And well-regarded stories as the McCoy era. So you're doing a book that ties into it. It's the McCoy era. You're probably going to yeah do something with Fenric. But it's just it, it, again it was an interesting choice.
2: Who wrote the ad? I mean, did Fenric write the ad himself, or does Fenric have a secretary? <laughs> who wanted professional kidnapper to use organic technology to take this particular woman away from nineteenth twentieth century Earth. But uh, the organics, that's very much what Mike Tucker does in his books. He's very much into body horror and organic devices. So Primetime was a huge uh, work of body horror. Mm-hmm. I remember the And Illegal Alien Loving the Alien, I mean the Cybermen, are the ultimate in body horror, body horror aren't they? So in... Loving the Alien, we have these horrific explanations of uh, you know mutant apes with uh, cybernetic technology and mutant babies with cybernetic technology. So if Mike Tucker's going to write uh, an ace book, he's going to bring that in. It's what he specializes in. I didn't mind that. Uh, that was actually – it was gross, but it was fairly well done. And Hologi Kari is a really cool villain to read, and he's pretty good as the big badge for this book. I'm just wondering, how did Fenrik pay him? I mean, does he have an <laughs> offshore bank account? Was he paid in gold? Uh, was he paid in power? Uh, and who is Fenric's receptionist? Who actually said, Fenric, will see you now. I mean, who works as Fenric's receptionist? Uh, I guess we'll never know.
0: Because there's this, this ongoing thing that all the people he takes, that uh, there are people who feel like they've been rejected like, uh, or, or want to leave at least for the uh quote-unquote charitable donations and i I do wonder that's a bit of a you know i I was thinking about that whether how much of a a theme that is within the book um of people who 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 feel rejected or or need to i can put this need to reject what um what they are because um because like the wraiths end up rejecting who they've been or people need to move on maybe like and the Horsy people, I keep forgetting their names. um the, the My Little Pony fan fiction come to life. um They they have to move on <laughs> from beyond their, their hatred, and so there's a lot about people maybe being rejected or having to move on. And I guess maybe there's, there's a sense of Ace moving on from her anger at the Doctor. hmm uh, But she doesn't seem particularly angry. I mean, this is this is an interesting thing. They kind of talk like, oh, maybe she. Uh, under the, the circumstances that she left the Doctor have kind of hurt her life, but she's having quite a good life, and she's doing a lot of good, and I never got the sense like she's damaged from, from, from her time with, with the Doctor. Like, it's affected her, but like even, even with School Reunion, which is, you know, obviously um, mentioned earlier, because it's an obvious kind of template for this, there's more of a sense of, of Sarah Jane having the sense of loss of what could have been and that, she, that the Doctor never came back from her than there is with Ace. Ace, you know, isn't like, oh, you never came back, or you didn't... We, we could have travelled forever. But again, I guess maybe sometimes there's one of the with spin-off fictions, you can't always do your... You can't do too much emotional uh, arts with the main characters, because they're going to be on TV and never mention that any of this happened. But still Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah I know what you mean um yeah because like you say she's got a pretty good life and she's she's carried on investigating uh alien encounters and things like that there's the uh the bit where she's um she's on holiday in Cumbria which is where I live um and just happens to see um (laughs) a spaceship come down in the Lake District uh and sort of steal some technology from it and that kind of thing um so yeah like the way that Sarah Jane has uh, has continued to uh, to investigate unusual activity and stuff. Uh, Ace is doing the similar <coughs> similar sort of uh, sideline from from the charity work as well.
0: It's very much the Sarah Jane. In some ways, that's very much the Sarah Jane Adventures Ace that we might have seen. Like I particularly thought that when she went to her little hideout, which had like the secret. Like the super fast car cool car and all, all, and having a little headquarters with all the different gadgets, like she calls it her bat cave, and I was like, oh yeah, we would have seen this on, on the on the set of Jane adventures this feels very that that kind that
1: kind of vibe, yeah, yeah, that's all quite cool, and she's got the um the squidget, which is this uh, sort of uh alien power source, which is um like slightly sentient as well, I think, mm-hmm. and, and can just integrate with any any kind of technology which uh. She comes in handy uh, again and again throughout the, uh, throughout the story.
2: It does whatever the plot needs it to do. It's remarkable.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a sonic screwdriver, isn't it?
2: Uh, Kate Orman had actually given us one of those in the uh, past Doctor book, Blue Box, which came out in the early 2000s. Uh, she had the same biomechanical creature that interfaces with computers and makes them better. So if you want to see this done properly, read Blue Box. Very good book. It's a Sixth Doctor and a Perry book, which takes place, um, I guess, somewhere between season 22 and season 23. I don't know if this was taken as a direct homage to what Kate Orman did or if it's just a similar technology. But not the first time we've seen a Squidget in the Doctor Who universe but uh, Kate Orman gives it a little more emotional resonance.
1: Uh, and, and the um, the other character from the classic series we catch up with is uh, Chantelle, who was Squeak bad in cat Survival. That's <laughs> the <laughs> <best> thing <laughs> I said when
0: I realised who it was. I was
1: like, the bad cat man. Bad <laughs> cat man. Um, who, like, I've not massively followed Adele Silva's career, but um, I think it, it kind of is a bit like this, isn't it? Because she was in a soap opera um, and then... I mean, I think the character here is, it says she's sort of a model for high end fashion houses, where I think um, Adele Silva was more a sort of like Lad's Mag FHM type
2: of uh, maybe model. Um, no, she had a, a squeak. Chantelle had been in some uh, exploitation flicks, and Ryan was a big fan of hers. Yeah. Which speaks to the lower, the, low, the lower end of the spectrum.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah um so it, it 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 is slightly mold on the on the actual actress i think um and um you can particularly i think well i have um read the the book of this and also the uh, the audio book um and um sophie Aldridge can do can sound uh, like quite like um Adele sova um in it she's got the but that um that sort of londony accent is really effective whereas her 13th doctor um, is very much like uh, for me, reminding me of Daphne from Frasier uh, which you've got that sort of, uh, I guess um, uh, an actress from the south of England doing a, a northern accent um, it's quite a generic northern accent uh, but yeah, all the way through it I could, I could just hear Daphne from Frasier
0: <laughs> How's Sylvester mm-hmm. McCoy out of interest? Is that
1: a uh... Yeah, she uh, she she does. Uh, yeah, a reasonable Scottish actor. It Doesn't massively sound like Sylvester McCoy, but uh...
0: no, no one who does these impersonations do. And, no, and like, no, it's like uh, what's his name, Jacob Dudman, who does the impressions. I've heard his Capaldi impression. I'm like, no, that's that's not Capaldi. That's that's like Capaldi if he was stoned. I don't know. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's just, you know, he he does a good. Obviously, you know, he was known for. God, what was he known for? Was it Tennant? Yeah, Matt Smith, ten-
1: yeah, uh, yeah, Matt Matt Smith, Smith and his David Tennant are, are excellent, aren't they? But yeah, it's um, it, it's his least uh, least effective one, I think, is his is Capaldi. Yeah, McCoy a difficult one to capture, isn't he? There's um, there's a new podcast by um, how do you pronounce it is it Levati? who the people that make some of the replica, uh, you know, like the um, the cricket jumper and uh, and the scars and things like that. Um, I'm not sure why, but they, they've just started a podcast with um, like short stories, um, and I think there's only one so far, and it's a Seventh Doctor one. And I'm not sure who reads that one, but that's probably about the best one I've heard, the Best of McCoy. Um, and it's a little sort of prequel for the TV movie.
0: Well, it's I think because a lot of impersonations is just relying on doing a Scottish accent, but then if mm. you say compare Capaldi and McCoy, they have Scottish accents, but they speak very differently you yes. know, it's not just uh, that. That's I think sometimes with, with the impersonation thing, people discard, just with the accent, and yeah, it's not uh, it's not one hundred percent there.
1: Yeah, there's a massive range of Scottish accents, just just same as English ones, isn't there? It's uh, yeah, it's not so easy. I'm
0: looking forward to when we get the Scottish doctor who's heavily Glaswegian, and just, <laughs> just we, we get three years of going what, what? Can you what? Can you repeat <laughs> what? <laughs> All right, yeah. People just nodding nervously whenever he or she speaks. It's like, yeah, okay, sure.
1: Yeah, put some subtitles on it, yeah.
2: So there's another character in the book, uh, Kim Fortune, who is a conspiracy conspiracy theorist podcaster who focuses on uh, unexplained supernatural and extraterrestrial mysteries. And not... Exactly presented in the most flattering terms and kind of gets beaten up throughout the book. I don't know which of the two writers created him, but whoever it was, Tucker or Cole, possibly doesn't like podcasters very much. Just, just, just an impression that I got. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong.
0: I like to think it was a tribute to WizKid.
2: <laughs> uh, if WizKid had actually been allowed to survive uh, on um Second
1: act. Mm. Yeah, he sort of comes good in the end, um, doesn't he? He gets the, uh, the, the sort of the romantic subplot with Chantel and uh, uh, and ends up staying um, on the uh, on the planet. Um, I think, don't they? There's um, Ace, Chantel, and and Kim all end up staying on uh, Hirogikari's home world. I think to rebuild.
2: The book winds up in a massive hurry and the authors clearly exceeded their word count. So even though this is nominally a book about Ace, and even though Sophie Aldred is given sole author credit on the cover, even though she didn't write the thing, the book ends on Will Buckland, and he gets a letter from Ace, which says, by the way, uh, we've stayed behind on the artifact, Uh, be back later, bye. Uh, It would have been nice if the book had ended from Ace's Point of view, but instead we're given this data dump ending by a letter told from a tertiary character's eyes. And I don't know how the book ended up that way, but if the book is about ACE, and if the acronym for the title spells out ACE, and if you're giving Sophie Aldridge author credit, shouldn't the book have ended with ACE? Uh, I don't know. That's a rhetorical question, I guess. Maybe you guys thought it was an appropriate ending?
0: I mean, the letters from her, so I wasn't I, – I mean, like I said, I, I, my, my joking thing was the ending I was literally just going, you can't hand over a charity like that. You can't just – you <laughs> cannot just do that. That is not <laughs> – that's not that. I mean, it would always be really I, – I, 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 I would be really interested to in know quite how the authorship falls because, you know, I, I, I think Sophie Aldridge wrote some of it. I mean, obviously, Stephen Cole and Mike Tucker obviously do get credited, and I'm sh- – sure they are responsible for some of the, the deeper cuts like like the android invasion references I can't, I can't believe so Biondra was like I love android invasion gotta get some of that Guy Crayford action in this book um but I guess I, I I know what you mean it's the letter's interesting I guess it but it, it is from her it is her words it, it's it, yeah yeah it's it, yeah, it's, it's alright I don't hate I didn't love it but I don't hate
1: it if um yeah, I suppose um, she's she's picking up kind of uh, on a larger scale what she's been what she's been doing uh, as we hear uh, through the charity in, in kind of war zones on Earth. Uh, yeah. Now she's trying helping rebuild an entire planet. Um, so I suppose it it follows in that sense. Um, and then should there be any sequels, you can go anywhere from there. I suppose uh, she's uh, she's a, a space traveler now uh, with her own companions in a way. Um, although we know from um, Russell T. Davis, uh, was it Farewell, Sarah Jane, that she does end up back on Earth and, and inherits K-9? Yeah, yeah which, carry um, on. which I'd like to see in the in a sequel, really.
2: I was just hoping. Again, this is a case of my expectations, not what we saw on the page. When this was announced, I was hoping for a proper literary, ace, novel where she is the main character. Now and she gets a romantic subplot, and she gets some grand conclusion with a little more observational humor and a little more character work, and maybe the plot as a much more minor thing. Instead, we sort of get a multi-doctor runaround, and Ace is quite the center of the book when it starts, But by the end, she kind of disappears and is only one of three or four different subplots, and she doesn't even get the last word. So maybe this will be an ongoing series. Maybe there will be an ace novel every year or two. But I was hoping for more emotional resonance. I was hoping for a more literary ace-centered work than what we got. And I can't blame the authors and Sophie Aldridge for not matching my internal explanations. But I thought that would have been more interesting than the standard alien invasion runaround, which is what ended up being published under her name. What did you two expect going in? Did you think it was going to be a proper literary novel exploring Ace in every detail, or did you think it was going to be just another BBC book?
0: I, I I didn't, uh, it depends what you mean by literary, uh, I, I thought in the end it would be a Doctor run around because that's what the audience you're aiming at, which I know isn't great. I mean, I, when I became a fan, I kind of, it was the mid-90s, just as like the New Adventures were ending, which actually meant they were going for cheap in a lot of shops. I, part of my becoming a fan was reading a lot of New Adventures, and you know, I've gone back to a lot of them now, and in some ways they're for me, I mean, this is a very personal opinion. Mean, they're, they're my favourite spin-off, you know, Doctor Who spin-off, uh, uh, spin-off fiction, and and some of them are great, some of them are really good. I don't think any of them are high literature. I don't think, <laughs> you know, not for a second, I think some of them are very good, great ideas, great books, you know, I mean, Kate Orman, Paul Cornell, Ben Aronovich, you know, they, they write some great stuff. So, did I think this was quite up there? No, but then again, like I said before, it's it's... While the New Adventures were continuing, was supposed to be like continuing the story, and were the only story for a long time. There, there was nothing else, um, apart from, like I said, the comic strips, which were trying to tie into the New Adventures at the time. You know, this is this is a spin-off. You can only go so far with that. I mean, I I, I know what you mean. That Ace does kind of disappear a bit towards the end, a lot actually. And like she's she's held cap kind of held captive, and, and stuff. And it was a bit like oh, I thought I thought she'd get more of a kick-ass resolution. So that was a, that, that, yeah, that was a little disappointing. But I felt it. It caught, caught the characters. It, it wasn't below what I expected. Put it put it that way. It maybe didn't exceed my expectations, but I, you know, I at the end of the day, I found it a fun run around, which is and a bit of escapism. Um, f- which, frankly, right now is what uh, what I'm really grateful for.
2: The new adventure is aimed a little bit higher. I want to say, like Ben Aradovich, The Also People is a full-on sci-fi epic novel and character piece. And certainly Paul Cornell was always aiming very high. I thought yeah, that, I mean, that they, also... they, could, they could have been... I mean, the book is good as is, but I was hoping there would be more, and I didn't get what I was privately hoping for. Not the author's fault. It's more my fault than theirs, but I think there was kind of a missed opportunity.
1: It's not too deep and broad for the small screen. Is that what you're saying? <laughs>
2: Unless Sophie Aldred really is a a prolific novelist and she really really wanted to tell a book which describes the further adventures of Crozier from Mine Work, maybe that's all <laughs> she wanted to do. But I doubt it.
1: Yeah, I think I think the main selling point is is the idea of um, a, a doctor from one era meeting the companion from another era. That's um, that's for me. That, that's what I like. Is that that. Kind of quite exciting thing of uh, like multi doctor team ups and uh, and things like that. That's, um, I think, going into it, that's that was what I was uh, kind of most excited about and expecting. Um,
0: uh, yeah, I mean, I, one thing I'm grateful for is that it kind of drops, well, one criticism I do have the new adventures is, and actually the BBC books <laughs> in the is that it got really into this idea that traveling with a doctor, once, once you left, your life was kind of terrible. Like, I think Joe Grant ends up divorced, Liz Shaw dies in one of the new adventures. Um, It's basically, you know, there's this underlying current of traveling with the Doctor really, really, um, really messes you up. And even though in this book, you know, Ace, I guess, does have some issues and did depart, not on the best of terms with the Doctor, at least she's not psychotic or, or or dead which is, it's, it's, is it, it's a small thing to overcome but i'm grateful for it
1: is it, is it dodo in um, who killed kennedy who's he gets like the worst deal doesn't she
0: yeah do yeah yeah well where's my jackie lane um written book you know where's, uh, where's my dodo yeah. novelization
2: no it's, dodo uh, gets dodo gets an std and then becomes homeless and then gets shot in the head and killed that's that's the one Yes. Yeah, tell, tell us how you really feel about Jackie Lane please, I, I, I
0: didn't get it Do you like <laughs> her? Do you like her? I mean that's the problem with a lot of things the 90 spin-offs is sometimes their idea of adult <laughs> storytelling is actually not that adult um, mm. yeah, so I'm grateful none of that happened in this book but you know, I mean, at the end of that I enjoyed it, I enjoyed reading it, um, it when we went to pick up my partner and I went to pick up this co- the, uh, our copy because Forbidden Planet were having a, a signing, um with, obviously with Sophie Aldred and we went there It started to started at one, we got there at ten past one and we had to go round to the back of the building where there was a queue snaking out and the Forbidden Planet employees went you can join the end but we might have run out of books so do, do one of you want to go, go I had to run to another bookshop to pick up a book, <laughs> come back and the signing was supposed to finish at two, we got in at 3.30 and bless her, Sophie Aldred still there, still smiling, happily signing away you know, she was an hour and a half over uh, but she was you know, she was lovely, we were like of the last people and, and, and had, a, had a very quick said hello to her it's really nice and and actually they still had books there but um they've been accidentally taught themselves out 17 quid but it was interesting because they, they were saying oh we didn't expect it to be this busy and i was like you know, you know doctor is quite popular <laughs> and this is, this is this is one of these you know she, she's she's a well-liked companion from the classic series D- did you not think people were going to be interested in this you know but yeah but yeah, but let Sophie Alda to sign the book. She was still, like, I said, she'd been sitting down for almost three hours, I think, signing. But she was still total professional.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, it. I think given you know the, the sort of narrative of how ratings were dwindling, um, I feel like Ace is really well remembered, even by the sort of the not we um, or the uh, you know the casual viewers that are often talked about. Um, she d- just seem to have um, you know quite a. You know, made an impact, um, I think, on people of, a, of our age group.
2: Well, she certainly had a very long career. I mean, she was one of the voices on Tree Food Tom, which my kid used to watch. So my kid is watching Sophie Aldridge, not even aware that this is a Doctor Who connection. So her career has certainly been prolific. And if you're going to put anybody's name on the cover and have it sell, it's going to be hers.
0: Yeah, and um she yeah, she's done a lot of presenting work and I guess she she is known and she's I like you say people people of a certain age. You're right, I mean didn't at the seventh doctor didn't have the biggest ratings um of the time, but you know, people who saw it do remember it. And and also I think it, it's an era and I say it's in the room, call, it's an era that's growing in popularity in retrospect. Like a lot of people got to knew who got into New Who. Tend to you know people people going doing RTD tend tend to like the seventh dot era because it kind of leads into that you know they they can see what the new series will become in those stories and and particularly what the modern day companion will become in Ace, um more maybe than any other companion of the classic series so yeah I think I think it's you know, people who saw it remember it people who've maybe gone back to it and yeah yeah she's she's she is memorable I mean you know there's not another companion that's ever beaten up a Dalit with a baseball bat.
1: Yeah, and the baseball bat comes back, which is... Um, of course it does. Course. Well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, because that is, again, as uh, they say, it's one of the most memorable things. Um, and even uh, Sophie Alves was on, on Pointless, I think, a couple of years ago and uh, made reference to that as well. Uh, it's, it's definitely one of the things that you, uh, you associate with her and one of the clips you see most often, isn't it, is the uh, that fight in the school and jumping through the window brilliant
2: but the bat breaks at the end of the episode so here they have to do another retcon that the doctor resurrected the bat and brought it back to life
1: yeah well that's nice because it ties in with the uh, with the ghetto blaster as well that he, he replaced for her as well
2: and it becomes her going away present when she decides to leave he gives her the bat as a as a going away gift which is kind of cool that's kind of cool
1: yeah yeah because she's got the scene where all the um uh, well, which you haven't mentioned, but the the rat, which is A double T, the um, the uh, the henchman for Hirogi Kari, Uh and when they invade her penthouse, she she has a she starts uh, knocking them all over the place with a baseball bat uh, before blowing up with Nitro Nine, which is uh, <laughs> very on brand, isn't it? Uh,
0: Nitro Ninety, I believe is now called.
1: Nitro Ninety, sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Uh, so any any final thoughts, uh, Jason?
2: Uh, I came into the book expecting more than what we got. If you set aside my expectations, which you can't fault the author for because they have no idea you even exist, it is a well-written, fun, entertaining book. It's very visual. Again, my guess is that Mike Tucker has written for Sophie Aldrin before. He wrote Ace, the nonfiction book, many years ago. My guess is that he wrote the prose for the Ace material, and Sophie Aldrin was involved in the plotting. And Steve Cole, who runs the 13th Doctor line, wrote the 13th Doctor Yaz, Graham, Ryan stuff. The horses and the rats are a little bit cutesy, but they're not bad as contributions go to the Doctor Who universe. Hologi Kari is a neat villain, and he has, he has a lot of potential. But again, this brings to mind, why did Fenric hire him? Why does Fenric have support staff? But again, that's my fault, not the author's fault. It is an entertaining read, but I would have loved to have been there at the uh, pitch meeting and the edit sessions. I think with a few tweaks, this book could have been one of the best Doctor Who books ever written. And instead, it's just, you know, an ordinary, well-written runaround. And I thought there could have been more, especially because you're telling it from Ace's point of view. But, again, let's not fault the authors for my own personal expectations.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. well, I think, you know, I've... I, I like it overall. I liked it. I mean, you know, I, I've niggled on a couple of things, but that's what Two fans do to the extent it is our curse. Um,
2: we do it very well.
0: Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> and and overall, no. Overall, I, I, I you know I did enjoy it. It's it's a, a nice reminder of of you know one of my favourite eras of of the show. And yeah, you know what? It was it was it was it was nice es- escapism. I mean, yeah, I have. I can point to things and go that didn't work, that didn't work but I'm more interested in going what does work like all the characters' voices are, are, are captured well I genuinely like the tension between Yaz and Ace because it makes sense with those characters I like I like Ace's conversations with Yaz I, I like and yeah I, I, I like I like the idea of actually you know what I like the idea of how charities run but it's not how they run and I want to make that and big finish please contact me I have a whole spin off series about the the poor staff have to work for this charity and have to justify this expense <laughs> and certainly certainly there's a whole episode about yeah, how you get planning permission for an 18 story building in zone 1 um, but no I I I didn't quite know what to expect and I was I was kind of a little bit nervous going in but overall overall yeah you know, I enjoyed it I, I, I enjoyed it, I will happily read it again um, and I will probably have deeper opinions when I do but no it, it, it captured the voice of the characters and you know, I, I, even I missed some of the continuity references so, so I can look forward to going back through it and going ah, oh, yeah, yeah, Guy Craven, yeah, yeah Android Invasion, so that, that will be fun
1: Yeah, I completely agree I think the, the authenticity of the, the voices um, is, is definitely one of the highlights of this um, and yeah, and just, and just I think the joy of, as I say, of uh, the doctor from one era meeting a companion from another era um, work, works really, really well. Um, and I think, uh, I think, yeah, it's probably something that I hadn't quite put my finger on, but was thinking along the same lines as something you said, Adam, before about the the theme of of people kind of moving on and getting over things. Um, like you, you, the Aston Gear. Um, what struck me is you know this uh, they're still kind of or well, this, this, uh, this ship full of Aston Gear, as we find out later on, that the um, the rest of the race um, have kind of moved on a bit, but there is one particular ship of them are still uh, obsessed with this war from uh, from the past that they had against the wraiths. Um, You know, it probably chimes at the moment as we uh, as Brexit drags on into its fourth or fifth year of a certain sort of uh, you know section of, of Brexit-supporting people who are still obsessed with the war. Um, you, you kind of made me think that was a little bit of a comment on that.
0: That did occur to me. As one interesting point is, obviously, the seventh era, or the Cartmo years, particularly, that they're one of the most political, or, or no, let me phrase that, the one of the most overtly political, um, eras of the show. And you don't quite get those politics coming in. Now, though, I, I wouldn't, I didn't expect the book to, to, to do exactly those politics because it's, it's eighties politics, and you know things move on, and it would be weird if it was just basically like, oh, I hate Thatcher in this book. That would, that wouldn't. You're really going really, really. This, this is what you do, but it, it's. Yeah, I guess I guess the moving on, having to to push forward, that is that is, you know, I think I think any message is political in the end, but I, I guess that's the closest it gets to, particularly when it meets the 13.0, which, as obviously, whose politics, or at least whose surface politics, have upset a certain amount of uh, of fandom, let's say, um, a certain section rather. Uh, it's it's interesting, it just it, it it keeps politics to a, to a slightly generic .dot two message of you've got to move on which, you know, the, the show has, has dealt with before. I imagine it's a bit Helen A to up or anything, don't get me wrong.
1: Yeah. There's no intention to bring down the government.
0: No, no, sadly not. Sadly
1: not. If only, if only. Uh, so just as childhood must end, so must this episode of the Trap One podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. Where can we find you guys on the internet? Uh, Adam?
0: You can, uh, you can hear me on the Real McCoy podcast uh, we're currently looking, well as the name suggests we're going through the 7th Doctor and Ace era we're soon to record our Curse of Fenric episode so that should be out soonish uh, and you can follow that uh, on Twitter at real underscore pod. Uh, and you can also follow me on Twitter if you like random rants about Doctor Who and occasional despairing um, cries about politics uh, at adamjcleck
1: uh, I can't wait for that one. Curse of my all time favorite story, so I am particularly looking forward to that episode. Uh, and Jason?
2: I am still on Twitter at Doctor Who Novels, DR Who Novels, and my blog is still on Doctor Who Novels, DR Who Novels at WordPress. I do not believe I have posted anything since the last time that I joined you to discuss uh, the last TV episode but I will get back to it one day. One day I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back.
1: (laughs) Uh, Definitely well worth checking out if you you haven't read Jason's blog. Well, thank you very much for listening and thanks for joining me, guys. Goodbye. (laughs)